G'day everyone, welcome to Hunter Bible Church. Uh, we are here tonight doing questions and looking at the book of James. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We're here with Richard Swetman. Hi there, great hey. to be here. How are you doing Richard? Oh, fantastic Dave. Yeah, how yeah. are you doing in this, in this time? Is this a time that your, your family, how's your family cope with being inside? Oh, we're all naturally introverts, apart from one of our family members. Okay. So yeah, that bit is okay. Yeah. Um, I'm enforcing some outdoor time for our kids at least once a day and yeah. sort of drag them out into the sunlight, but uh, <laughs> cool. we'd say they don't mind. Yeah, so we're going okay. Cool. How, how about you? Uh, yeah, we're doing, uh, I think our family's kind of built for uh, living inside on computers. <laughs> it's, they sometimes wonder if anything's happened, anything's changed. So. That's right. I saw this t-shirt on my brother-in-law that said, I've, I've been training for this my whole life. Right. <laughs> we... Um, we are looking at the book of James tonight. So at church for the last couple of weeks, as we've moved to online, we've started looking at James. And as Greg's been working through it each week, uh, we've been looking at pretty short, short sections of it uh, and in kind of short talks. Uh, and so we thought it'd be really good to kind of step back and to do a big picture of James, big overview, trying to get a bit more of the... Um, uh, a bit more of the, the understanding of the background of it and the authorship and what it all means, uh, because that's really value as we, valuable mm. as we look into the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when we're trying to get meaning from a book of the Bible, from a passage, uh, it's just so valuable to step back and think about who wrote it, what was the circumstances, yeah. why were they writing it, and it's all sort of bird's eye view stuff, but as you do that, it just gives a lot more clarity and uh, intensity to the passages that we look at. So yeah. I think it's a really valuable thing to do. Always part of my Bible study prep is getting the bird's eye view, the big picture stuff. Yeah, that's right. It's going to help us as we go through those smaller sections over the next couple of weeks hmm. to understand the larger picture behind it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're going to be looking at the, the background tonight, the, uh, the overview of it. And what we really want to see is questions. So after we go through a little bit of that, uh, we want to see your questions. So please make sure you go to the YouTube page and go to the live comments that are there and put your comments in there and add your questions and then I'll throw those questions to Richard tonight. Uh, so please be doing that. Um, we'll see how we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited, Richard, that you're going to be able to just destroy all these questions and help us understand everything. That's, that's the plan, isn't it? Uh, I'm glad you have a high opinion of my abilities there, Dave. Yeah. We'll see. Well, why don't we pray to start, Richard? Yeah, that'd be great. Love to. Lead us. Thanks. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of James and that it's just fantastic that we can have your word speaking into our lives right now. And I pray that you'd help us to be listening to it deeply over this period. And I pray for our time now as we reflect on some of the big picture stuff around James, that uh, we'd understand that better and see what difference that makes uh, in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Let, Richard, let's get into it. So James is a letter of the New Testament. Um, yep. Who was he? Who, who is James? When it says James, who are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. All right. So we've got James here. And uh, I think it'd be helpful if you have a Bible open at home uh, looking on. We'll bring up some of the verses, I think, as we go along. Mm. But we've got James there. You see James 1 verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So it's nice to know the name of the author. We don't get that in Hebrews, but uh, all we've got there is James. Yeah. And so you think immediately, like, uh, who, which James could that be? Mm. And so uh, now if you search James on uh, a Bible search tool on Bible Gateway, something like that, uh, and you run through them all, you'll come up with four Jameses in the New Testament. Right. So four Jameses. And so one of those Jameses could be the author of this book. 
So, One of, so it could be a fifth. Well, it could be a James we don't know about. Yeah, right. okay. But right. uh, that's a good place to start, those four Jameses. So let's run through uh, those possible Jameses. The four Jameses. The four Jameses. Okay, so first of all, a couple of ones are probably unlikely. So there is James, the father of Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas who was in the 12. Okay. His, Judas's dad was James, but that's all we know about him. So uh, nobody really thinks he was the author of James. Uh, you've got a second guy called James, who is James, son of Alphaeus, yeah. who is one of the 12 disciples. And uh, you see him in the lists of the disciples, say in Matthew 10, verse 3, or Mark 15, verse 40. Uh, happy not to look at those now. Uh, but James, son of Alphaeus, who was also known as James the Younger. Okay. Which is uh, not a very impressive title. He's just saying he's younger than some other James. <laughs> and so uh, we move then to the third option for James, and that is James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John. Yeah, okay. So this is James, the disciple. Yes. Well, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, was another disciple, but this James oh, yeah, was okay. the... Uh, son of uh, Zebedee, brother of John. They were the fishermen. And John, when Jesus was going through um, uh, calling his disciples, he called those guys. Hmm. So the fishermen, brothers, uh, they had that other name of Boanerges. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. But it means sons of thunder. Sons of thunder, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, awesome nickname. It's an awesome nickname. <laughs> yeah, I feel a bit uncomfortable about it and myself, but uh, that was their nickname. And so um, he had obviously a prominent role in the Gospels. We hear about him yeah. uh, involved and stuff. Uh, but we do find out that he was killed uh, fairly early on in the history of church. So we've got a, uh, Acts 12, verse 1. And you just it's worth noting there the death of James. Acts 12, verse 1, yeah. And uh, there it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Next verse, verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, that was a big impact in the life of the church. And that's pretty early in yeah. life of the church as well. So uh, that's probably the Herod on view there is Herod Agrippa. Yep. And the date we're looking at there is AD 44. Yeah, right, very early. Um, yeah, so the thinking, though, there, obviously James, key figure in the history of there, but Probably his death means a bit early for him to be a strong contender for uh, the authorship of James. So because that James died so early in the life of the church, the yeah. idea that he's the writer of the, the letter James yeah. is in thinking of probably not that James. Yeah, it's less likely. Okay, yep. And so that takes us to the fourth James in the Bible. You've laid these out very well such that we're getting to the yes, fourth one. Yes, yeah, the suspense okay. is building. Who <laughs> is this James, the yep. author of James? And uh, I think this is, uh, the other James is James, the brother of Jesus. So we meet him, say, in Matthew 13, verse 55. Matthew 13, 55. Yeah, um, where the brothers of Jesus are introduced, Matthew 13, 55. And that says, oh, yeah, this is the skeptics, right? They're saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? So there we meet uh, a James, brother of Jesus. Mm. Now, uh, it's interesting that he wasn't initially a great fan of Jesus. Uh, if you come to John 7, verse 5, you find, we find out that uh, Jesus' brothers weren't, weren't all that keen on him. 
right. as he started his ministry. So James 7 verse 5. John 7. Oh, sorry, John 7 verse yeah. 5. Uh, they say, um, for even his oh. own brothers did not believe him. And, right. and if you read around that, they're kind of taunting him that he's saying he just wants to be famous and typical of brothers, keeping him in line. <laughs> not, what? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so didn't, initially didn't believe in him, but at some point he became a follower of Jesus, a believer. A key point was that we don't know the whole conversion story, but yeah. if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, we yeah. meet James again. Oh, yes. And okay. this, what we read in James 15 verse 7, I think is very important. So in James, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about uh, who Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. And um, uh, verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So Jesus appeared to his brother in there. And so I, is there a reason we think that's the brother James, not the James from Acts 12? Oh, well, probably because when he says, then he appears to James, then all, oh, wait, no, no, it's, we're looking back at um, verse 5 of chapter 15. Yeah. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, yeah. and then to the 12. Yeah, okay. So James, the other, two, the other two James would be included in that 12. Right, okay. Right, so because he was not part of the 12 that was earlier, yeah. this is most likely the other James. Yeah, James brother. the brother. Yeah, right. And so he's initially not believer, then now he's seen the risen Christ and he appears in uh, Acts 12 uh, in a leadership role in the church. After the, after the other James. Yeah, died. after the death of James. Okay. So he takes on this uh, leadership role and it begins to feature more prominently. So Acts 12, we were there just a few minutes ago with verse 2, James being executed. But then uh, after the execution of that James, Peter gets into jail and they're praying for him and everything. Yeah. But if you go to verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17, Peter tells them uh, when he's reunited, he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. Mm. And then he left to another place. So even in 12, in chapter 12, we're quite clear, this James, he died. And yeah. when Peter's released, tell James, meaning the other James. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So it's, he's an important person who needs to hear this news. Uh, and so um, we won't look this one up, but in Acts 15, uh, James is very, very influential in the so-called Council of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. So resolving disputes about Gentiles and what's necessary to... He seems to have like a leadership... Yeah. Kind of, he summarises it all at the end of that, that yeah. council. Yeah, summarises, it conciliates, really helpful there. And in uh, Galatians 2 verse 9, he is esteemed as a pillar of the church. Yeah. A pillar, along with uh, Peter, Peter and John. John, yeah. So uh, James features very prominently. So of these four James, you're thinking, so, so our best kind of guess is that it's this, this James, the brother of Jesus, yeah. who's writing... The letter of James. Yeah, yeah. James, the brother of Jesus. He died about AD 61, according to Josephus, who was a historian. Yeah. So he was certainly alive in that window when the letter could have been written. Yeah. Uh, but why uh, is he a contender for the uh, writing of the letter of James? Well, his name's James. His name's James. <laughs> he's alive at this period, yeah. which is a strong point. Um, he's uh, the traditional author. So some of the early church fathers said, oh, it was James, the brother of Jesus. Right, so the, the history we have of the time, yeah. people, very early Christian church, yeah. they pointed to they James, pointed brother him, of Jesus, which as is, their author. Yeah, it's tradition. Yeah. Okay. Um, he speaks with authority in the book. Like, you notice he, he, he just gets into it and says this and this and this. Like, yeah. 
Uh, he so he comes across as a leader. Yeah. Uh, and he also doesn't give himself any other descriptors. Like he just says, James. Yeah, whereas in Paul, Paul kind of describes himself, him, mm. an apostle, that type of thing, and James says, it's James as if the, author, as if the recipients know him. They, yeah, they like, know... Who, who's the James who needs no introduction? Right. Right, it's the James who... who that makes sense. Does. Okay. Um, you might ask, ask, though, why doesn't he say, oh, uh, James, the Lord's brother? Yeah, so like people, that would make it a whole lot easier for us, but... Yes. Do you and have the, any idea why? The theories are, or what I think are plausible. One is, um, it's not necessary... He's yeah. famous. The other is he's like he's humble, or it's irrelevant. Like, doesn't doesn't want to boast to that family relationship. Yeah. And also maybe it's at stake a statement that it's irrelevant. He um, describes himself as a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ or God. That would be really um, hard to do as a brother, wouldn't it? I know. I know that that I mean really hard to imagine. Yeah. But, imagine calling your brother Lord and God. <laughs> It's, it goes word. against everything a brother does. Yeah, yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it does show you that point, um, if this is James, the brother of Jesus, that it doesn't matter who you are or your status, your yeah. relevant. We're all slaves of God, slaves of Christ. Yeah. So, Great. All right. Um, um, looking for, for questions. So if you've got questions about who the author is, please put them in the comments. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, it's just looking through lots of people saying hi and that type of thing. <laughs> uh, there's people hi. from youth who are... Uh, waving and saying hi, would love. Taking screenshots, probably. <laughs> That's, That's what right. they're doing. That's right. They kind of put hats on us or something <laughs> like that afterwards. That seems to be the way this thing works. Uh, so we worked out James. This is probably the Most likely brother, brother, of brother of Jesus, Jesus. who's writing this letter. Yep. Okay. Who's he writing to? What's, okay. the, what's the circumstances that James is writing this letter? Well, that's two different questions. You, yes, uh, who, you can answer both. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's start with who is he writing to? Yep. And again, that's in the Bible there, 1 verse 1. Uh, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Yep. Okay, so that's, um, that makes you think, like what nation is famous for having 12 tribes? That's the nation of Israel, right? Yeah. Uh, it almost begs the question that he's writing to Jews. Well, yeah, like, so in a way that was, uh, the, the way of speaking 12 tribes is a kind of historical, dignified way of talking about the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation. It's not like technically the best way to describe it because 10 of those tribes were more or less obliterated. So in it's almost the, a metaphor. Yeah, it's a metaphor for the, like the complete people, people of God, mm. God's people. Mm. Uh, and I think he's probably writing that with a view to thinking of Jews, mm. but it wouldn't be impossible that it's the people of God as in Jews and Gentiles together. Yeah, yeah. So uh, looking for more clues yeah. as to who these people are uh, that with that Jew-Gentile question, I think there's a bit of evidence that it is he's speaking to Jews. So he calls them his, his brothers, which is, you know, which is applies to all, but very strong for, for Jews, that yeah. Jewish relationship. Uh, they talk about Abraham, our father, mm. uh, in, oh, that's uh, chapter 2, verse 21, yep. uh, which Abraham is all of our father spiritually, and Paul yeah. explains that. But for him to just drop that out there without explanation, sounds yeah. like he's probably talking to Jews. Mm-hmm. Obviously, his readers um, are familiar with the Old Testament and, and people like Rahab and Job. Um, so uh, that... Um, yeah, so I think that's why it's mostly Jews. Oh, there's another saying there, God is one, sounding like the Shema of Deuteronomy 6. So he's using, he's using phrases and uh, ideas that, that if you're a Jew and you're reading this, this is resonating with you yeah. really well. But it, yeah. uh, it's not exclusive for Jews. No. But 
it seems to be that he's got a Jewish audience in mind. I think that's the case. But yeah. having said that, I, there's nothing here that would be irrelevant for us as Gentiles today. No, like, that's right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm picturing, I think he's writing to Jews who have been, um, been scattered around, uh, but it's, it's relevant for all of us. Yeah, okay. So mostly Jews, I'll say yeah. that. All right, all right. So um, why is he writing this? What's the purpose? Just going, oh, I'm going to write, write a letter. I've seen some other people do it. Paul's a bit, <laughs> bit famous for it, so I might hop on the act author something. Yeah, let's get into that. So he's, he's writing to Jews. Oh, and I forgot to mention they're kind of scattered around. So yeah. we're not thinking a particular church here. Yeah, so Jews. this is a letter that James ex is expecting to be... Yeah, it might be passed around, yeah. yeah. After the uh, persecution following the death of Stephen, when Jews were scattered to yeah. Syria, Antioch. Acts um, 8, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, he's writing to those sort of groups. Okay. And now why is he writing? Now, in James, I don't think we get a specific here's why I'm writing kind of statement. Right. Uh, you know, in Hebrews, how it says, I'm writing this word of exhortation. Mm. You can find it in other areas. But I don't think in James there's an explicit... Hey guys, here's why I'm writing. So we've kind of got to look for the clues um, as in the book as to why he's writing. Um, and so you can see the circumstances a little bit of the, the readers. So if you just flick through in the pages there, you can see uh, they're suffering. Yep. Um, in chapter one. In chapter one. And you also see that the, and two verse four, Five and six uh, explains some of that suffering, yep. uh, dishonouring of the poor, rich exploiting you, uh, dragging you into court. So there's a bit of suffering going on. We could be in a, a situation of famine or um, poverty. So you look in two fifteen, there might be a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. And there was actually a famine uh, I read about AD forty six, which could be around the time of writing. Okay, and so. Uh, situations of, um, of poverty there. there. There does seem to be that a lot of the, a lot of the, the audience that James is writing to seem to be in hardships, either poor or suffering. Is there mm. indication that there's a variance that there are rich among them who are who are Christians? It seems like it almost seems like most references to the rich in James are. It seems like they're people who aren't saved, almost. Yeah, there's a bit of a mix. I could read it either way. That might be a tangent we go down to in a moment, that theme of the wealthy and the poor. Yeah, okay. Um, so so we're, going, we're thinking through the, the, the circumstances, why, why James is yeah, writing yeah, it. Yeah, so it's some suffering, but in some ways the suffering is not the most urgent issue in James. Uh, the most urgent issue is, uh, well, there's a few, um, is a devaluing of obedience. Right. And conformity to the world. Okay. This is when he gets fired up the most. Yeah. Um, so you see... Explain, for, what, so what do you say? The devaluing, devaluing of, of, obedience. of obedience. So you see right. 1 verse 19. Um, uh, well, no, 1 verse 22. People who, who listen to the word but don't do what it says. Yes. Um, so there's the concern... So, so James seemed to have concern that there are, there are, there are churches out there with people who are saying they they're believers, but they don't have that their their lives don't line up with. Yeah, yeah, you see that in different instances. Um, with uh, there is um, say three verse fourteen, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Um, there is uh, in four verse eleven, potentially brothers and sisters slandering each other. 
Yeah. Uh, so issues of obedience, which he's really concerned about. And to sum it up, uh, one of the points where he gets most fired up is chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. Where yep. he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So when he gets most fired up here is when he's worried that his readers are more loyal to the world than to God. They, have, they value their friendship with the world more than their relationship with God. They're conforming to uh, the world. And this is an urgent problem uh, in his mind. So you think this is part of the reason that James has penned this letter is that he's aware of the Christians out there and he's saying it seems like he's afraid that they are becoming more and more hmm. like the world. Their lives are becoming more and more like the world around them. Yeah, that's what he's worried about. And, that, and that's one of the reasons I think that he's okay that with the fact that they're suffering. He sees that as a potential uh, strategy of God or as a potential circumstance that would lead them to grow in obedience. Yeah, so right. in his mind, suffering is not the greatest problem they're going through. Their greatest problem is this conformity to the world. That's really interesting, isn't it? And that leads us to what I think is probably the closest uh, verses for a purpose statement. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit hidden, a bit disguised. But if you look at chapter 5, verse 19 five and 19. 20, we'll read verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. So the very end of the book. Very end of the book. I yep. think it's just a sneaky little purpose statement here. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Like he's saying, this is something you should be doing, bringing people back from the truth, turning them from sin. But I think that's what he's, probably, he's trying to do in the letter. So he's kind of in, in a little instruction at the end. He's trying to, you think he might be kind of slipping in, actually, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm doing. I'm modelling this, yes. Yeah, he's right. trying to turn people back from error and, and from sin. Which is what we're saying. That seems to be quite a lot of the book. Hmm. Is he's writing to them saying, turn back, turn back. And yeah. In the midst of suffering, yeah. the big issue is the sin that can't let... Yeah, he's Continue. calling people back. And he's doing that theologically and with all sorts of methods and techniques, but he's, quite, he's thinking of those Jewish Christians spread out there, going through issues. His concern is their godliness, their obedience, their loyalty, their relationship with God. Yeah. And that's, at the, that's what it's in his heart, I think, and causing him to write this letter. Great. All right. Uh, so please, please keep uh, putting in questions. We'll get two questions soon although Richard we are getting some questions in like uh, how many kilos does Richard bench press uh, so we might uh, you might need to check your notepad for where you're up to with that and uh, are we going to use the the base in the background at some point can we do a James type uh, interlude musical interlude these are great questions I'm glad you're fielding them That's right. I'm sure you want to know what they put are put them in an order there Okay, so uh, we've looked at James and we've looked at why it's written. Are there mm -hmm. particular are there particular things, uh, particular themes that are kind of throughout the book? Because uh, so I happen to be reading through James in yeah. my quiet time at the moment, and my wife and I have been reading through it a bit. And it seems that uh, things that get mentioned at the start get picked up again at the end, and it'd be good to it almost like you could rearrange the whole book and it'd be simpler. That, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. Um, is the structure of James? A simple structure? Is it tricky? How does it work? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the structure of a bit because um, I, I find it helpful when I'm looking at a passage to just try and get an idea of how does this work, the structure, yeah. how does it fit. Um, 
And traditionally, James has been a hard one to pin down for structure. It has the feel of like, here's a point, here's a point, here's a point, here's a point. Okay, yeah. we're done. Okay. <laughs> um, if, and comparing that to some of the other letters. So you read James and you'll notice there's not a lot of therefore this or for this reason or since or for, you know, that you might read in the letters of Paul. Mm. And so it's lacking that kind of have argument moving from one thing yeah, to another. Yeah, it doesn't have that kind of logical flow of mm. since this, therefore that, and mm. thus you must do this and that type of thing. Yeah, um, which is fine. Actually, it's interesting that for some people, they, uh, for many people, that's a real highlight of the book, that you can just enjoy a paragraph. You don't have to hold this complicated argument in your head. <laughs> that's right. And you just go, all right, I know where we're at. We're talking about godly speech. I'm here. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm on board. Yeah, okay. Um, so even though, yeah, it's got a sort of one thing after another kind of feel. So more a patchwork quilt type of letter where you can look at each bit individually. Oh, Do people of. even know what patchwork quilts are anymore? <laughs> I haven't seen one for years. You, you're not, you've given up your quilting hobby? Okay. <laughs> I will need, well, neither confirm nor deny that I've given up my quilting hobby. Um, but that, that is, there is a structure, though, behind um, that. Like it, it has a different pattern. Um, and so it's, obviously there's a, is there a start. One verse one. There's Thank an, you. That's good. Well, yeah, you got to start with the basics. <laughs> no, no, it's really good that you tell us when the start is. Yep. Uh, and then you've got an ending, the vibe of the. Uh, <laughs> good. I'm yes. Sorry, yeah, this is all you need to be to be in the maturity pastor. Uh, talking about prayer towards yeah. the end. So what about between those? In between reckon? those, yeah. Well, there's like clear sections. There are sort of strong sections. You've got um, the testing, tempting kind of stuff in a in an initial section. I think one verse two through to eighteen. Okay. And then you've got a uh, section that has in common the theme of obedience, uh, and that is um, running from 1 verse 19, I think pretty much through to 2 verse 24. Okay. So that's the doing what the word says, not just um, pretending. Uh, it is loving the poor uh, in obedience to scripture. It is having deeds complementing your faith. Um, uh, so there's that theme of obedience running right through the end of two. Yeah, it seems to be the, the idea that you're, um, the, the thing you believe in should shape your actions yeah. and, and at every point they should, you should, they should be aligned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So th th there's a chunk there. Yep. Then you move on chapter 3, verse 1, probably till about 4, verse uh, uh, 12, about speech. There's a common themes of speech. There's that famous bit about the tongue and the fire and that. Yeah. And then uh, wrapping up with speech. Uh, you've got fights and quarrels in chapter 4, verse 1, and that command not to slander each other in 4, verse 11. So there's little other things going on in that section, but it's about speech. And then the final section, 4, 13, through to that sort of ending bit, is about um, the wealth and arrogance and oppression and that sort of thing. Yeah. It seems a very application-heavy book. So mm. we get a lot of Paul's books that uh, they get theologically heavy at the start and then mm. application-heavy at the end. Yeah. It seems he's jumped straight into application quickly. Yeah. Is, it, is it because there's not much theology here? Oh, no, there's plenty of theology, um, but it's, it's interspersed all the way through. Uh, but it's, you're, I think you're right, though. It is very practical. This is one of the reasons people love James. Um, yeah. He gives, gives you stuff to go on every paragraph. Uh, but there is a theology... Um, great theology of God. Every chapter you will learn stuff about God. Um, but say compared to some of the other writings, not so much a theology of Christ and the atonement, not so much a theology of the Holy Spirit. Those things are they're a bit in the background. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about structure. One more point I'd make on structure yeah. is that um, in a way it's not so much the topic that's, that, that stays in people's minds as they read James. It's two things. One is the images and two are the little dramas. How do you mean? Well, so as you think about James, uh, especially if you've read it a few times, what comes into mind is all the little images. So if you look at chapter one, you've got um, the wind and the waves and the sea. You've got the flowers. Um, you've got the mirror, image of the mirror. Um, other images, you've got the image of the fire, uh, the tongue as like a rudder steering a ship or a bit in uh, steering a horse. Um, you've got the images of fields and... Uh, so it's almost sermon-esque. Yeah. That, that it's like a sermon has all these illustrations in it. Mm. Well, some do, have all these illustrations in them that help, uh, help the reader, help the listener understand. Yeah. It, James keeps using all these images to impress upon his readers. And those images are one of the reasons that people like James yeah. because there's something to hold, kind of hold on to there. Yeah, loads in the images. And then also there's the dramas as well, the little mini plays, uh, which are so memorable. It's so like this, the, the drama of the man looking in the mirror and walking away. Yeah. Or the, in chapter two, the drama of the man who says, I have faith, but I don't do anything about this poor person in front of me. Mm. Uh, or there's the drama of the man who's doing business, thinking I'll do this and this and make this traveling. Um, so, uh, yeah. It plays out these little, lots, little stories. Yeah, lots of little stories. And so when you think about James, you tend to not think about the, here's the logical flow of the argument. You tend to think, Oh, chapter one, that's the, I can picture that wave tossing about and I can picture that flower. And yeah, then I can okay. think of that guy looking at the mirror and then walking away. And yeah, I, okay. I, I do want to come back to this idea, though. It, is it... Let me put forward something uh, that I don't necessarily believe, but um, if, if James is really just all these ideas about what... A lot of application, a lot of helpful mm. things, and, and the theologies in the background... Um, uh, so uh, there's a famous quote that Luther had where he calls it a, a, a right strawy epistle. Yeah, that it's just, it's, it's kind of weak and that, that type of thing. Like, how do we respond to that? Oh, well, yes, thank you. I disagree with, with what you are saying hypothetically. It's not weak <laughs> on theology. There are some theologies not strong, but there's uh, lots of theology through every chapter, particularly the theology of God. Uh, a theology of new birth, a theology of wisdom, uh, the theology of faith and works, um, an eschatology, the theology of God's coming judgment. Yeah. So plenty of theology through there. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things that we can get really used to the theology as kind of Paul lays it out in Hebrews, that type of thing. We get used to that. Mm. Um, but we come to James and he's writing in this other way. Mm. That doesn't reduce the no. theology and the, the meat that's there. Yeah. It just means, well, hang on, you've got to, you've got to work a different way to yeah, see yeah. how it's Yeah, you, you read it as it is. But no, loads of theology, uh, which is going to drive our application. Yeah. The reason Luther wasn't a big fan was the whole faith and works thing, which... Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he was a contender in his, current, in, in, in his context for salvation by faith yep. alone, through the grace alone. But yeah, so there was a big, yeah, there's that huge issue in James chapter 2 mm. where James says not by faith alone and you've got Martin Luther 
yeah. saying faith alone yeah, yeah. and going, well, Martin, how can you say that? I just called him Martin because we're such good mates. <laughs> <laughs> how can you say that when James says this? And so I'm actually looking forward to it. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look uh, at church on Sunday as we keep preaching through James. We're going to get to that. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll unpack that a lot there. We probably won't do dig into questions no, on that. Let's do not. But uh, we do have a whole bunch of questions, and most of them are actually about exegetical questions. Okay. Now, I'm assuming, Richard, that you've spent loads of time exegeting every verse in James, oh, so you can answer everything now. That's, that's, that's great, isn't it? That wouldn't be a great assumption, but <laughs> I love the way that people are having questions. Yeah. That's how we interact. And uh, yeah, having questions about the Bible is, means you're thinking, I don't know it all. It means we're learning. Um, and in this whole COVID season, yeah, learning the Bible, knowing James better uh, is our pathway for for peace yeah. and for blessing Great. and relationship with God. And yeah, so. that's right. There's so much in there about how to think about God, how to think about ourselves, how to think about relationships. Okay, let's get to some questions now. Thanks, everyone. Keep asking those questions. We'll try to get as many as we can. Um, uh, f- uh, just uh, thanks, Liv, uh, that saying feel so much more orientated now about where the start of James is, that you've pointed <laughs> that out. So uh, you're welcome. That, that's, we're glad we can help. Um, Question, in chapter 1, verse 14, we get that little unpacking bit about uh, when someone is tempted and they're dragged away by their own evil desires. Youth looked at this last week as well, thinking about oh, right. temptation. So Was that your read... Q&A? Yeah, yeah, we did Q&A with youth. I heard that Friday. went really well. Oh, did you? That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Uh, so chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, I'll read it. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after a desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Uh, The question is, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, says that Jesus was tempted by the devil. Mm. So does that mean Jesus has evil desires? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. Let me just throw that to you (laughs) without any warning at all. Yeah, um, I think there's a bit of flexibility in that word tempted or tested. That's a single word that by necessarily has to get translated in different ways um, into English. Uh, so, um, yeah, I haven't gone super deep on these verses, um, but I think what we're talking about in James uh, is a temptation in their own heart of that 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 sinful nature that is drawing the way. Uh, it's a it's an internal sort of temptation as opposed to a more external sort of temptation mm. from Jesus. Now he was never wrestling with the evil sinful desire in his heart. He's 100% pure. Yeah. Um, and so no, Jesus uh, had there was no evil in Jesus at all, mm. uh, but there is in us. Yeah, so the bit in, uh, in Matthew seems to be he's tempted by, by the, the devil, or the mm. devil's the one that yeah. tempts him. Where in James, it seems to be the temptation comes from within us, that mm. we are, we're evil in our hearts. Yeah. Um, but that question kind of goes to an incarnation question, doesn't it? Like, what, is, what does it mean to be incarnate? And yeah, yeah. For Jesus to be incarnate. And Fully human, yet without sin. Yeah, mm. that type of thing, which is a huge idea mm. uh, that we could spend many more hours on. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Neil Foster asks, uh, is there something to be said for seeing James as a wisdom book, kind of like Proverbs Mm. is in the Old Testament? 
Yeah, great question. Uh, let's have a look at a couple of wisdom verses in James. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So there's a key one in chapter 3, verse 13. Well, apart from obviously last week um, or two weeks ago, we saw that prayer for wisdom, uh, 1 verse 5. But key passage in 3, verse 13 uh, through to 18, uh, which is a central uh, passage, important it says there, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Mm. So why would you say that's kind of wisdom? Here? Yeah. What, what is it about that makes you go, this is kind of well, wisdom? Well, talking about wisdom. <laughs> okay, so you're saying the topic is wisdom. This yes. is wise. Yes. So okay, right. yeah. there's the desirability of wisdom, clearly here, um, and he's talking about... Um, the wisdom that's from God as opposed to wisdom from the world. And that's fitting with that theme of his concern that they're conforming to the world rather than from God. Yeah, so it's very kind of like the 1 Corinthians 2 idea that there is wisdom of the world, but it's not mm. real wisdom yeah. and true wisdom comes from God. So, so similar to that content. Yeah, so he's saying um, as he's concerned for them to have loyalty and friendship with God, um, to be devoted to him, to conforming to God, uh, that is really about taking on wisdom, uh, which is explained, explored in this. Not the earthly sort of wisdom, but that heaven-like, uh, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. Which has, interestingly, has a lot of similarity with, with the fruit of the spirit list in Galatians. Yeah. Interesting little, like, possibly some spirit sort of stuff sitting behind that. But highlight of wisdom there. And I think Neil's right, a lot of this other teaching about, like, speech, that's a big theme in Proverbs, isn't it? Um, rich and poor, wealth and poverty, that's a big theme in Proverbs. Mm. Um, um, Would you say that James is almost picking up a whole lot of the teaching in Proverbs and applying it to the Christian life now? Uh, no, not necessarily. I think he's more, he's more picking up the teaching of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he's like the Sermon on the Mount kind of stuff. Mm. He features a lot in. Um, and also okay, yes. uh, the, the, the Torah. The law. There's lots of the Torah that finds its way into James. Yeah. Um, but um, there is a bit of a wisdom feel about James, but not in the same sense of Proverbs as here's a proverb, here's a proverb. He's not really writing Proverbs. No. It's very rich language and ideas. Yeah. Uh, and if you read James, you will grow in wisdom. Yeah, um, right. So we should just tell... Tell Neil he's wrong then. I would never do that. That's no. right. Okay. We, um, uh, but on that, so you mentioned uh, Jesus uh, and it's similar to the Sermon on the Mount. One of the questions that came in um, is why so little mention of Jesus in the, in the letter? Like apart from chapter 1, verse 1, a servant mm -hmm. of God and Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, there doesn't seem to be many mentions of Christ Yes. Any idea why that is? 2 verse 1 as well. Yep. Uh, my brothers and sisters, this believers... This is where you're going to correct me and show me all the bits. Where no, no, you know, that's, <laughs> you're quite right. Uh, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's the full title, glory, Lord. Uh, he's our boss. Jesus, our Saviour Christ, our Messiah, 
So that's a very full-on uh, description of Jesus. Um, from uh, the, he does talk about the Lord's coming in five of verse seven. So there's an eschatology of Jesus' return there, um, and uh, but um, yeah, otherwise, in terms of name and and who is Jesus, the story of Jesus, uh, his 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 uh, life, his person, his works, not there explicitly. Um, now that's partly uh, James' agenda on this letter, particular letter, is not to do a full-on theology of Christ. Yeah. You compare that to Colossians, say, where Jesus, where Paul is addressing a um, some uh, false teaching around angels and so on. It's super important to him to do a full-on theology of Christ. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the top on the agenda for James. But having said that, all of his, well, so much of his writing here is taking on the the teaching of Jesus. So, for example, um, listening to the word, for example, that makes you think of parable of the sower. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Uh, you've got love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught that. Um, you've got um, uh, to, to be uh, the, the issues of wealth and the difficulties of wealth mm. for inheriting the kingdom of God. Mm. That's a problem. Um, those who are poor in the eyes of the world, chapter 2, verse 5, will be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom. That sounds like the Beatitudes. Yeah. Uh, and so for pretty much for every chapter, uh, you will find the teaching of Jesus sort of not necessarily quoted, but just filtering through. So it's, it's clear that uh, it's not that James is kind of allergic to the name Jesus and he doesn't like saying it. He obviously thinks that he thinks very highly of Jesus, but the teaching of Jesus is kind of all the way through. Um, okay, well, next question uh, um, uh, from Sylvia. Thanks, Sylvia. So James 4 verse 8 yep. uh, says, uh, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Doesn't that put the onus of action on us? Doesn't that, doesn't that mean that we've got to take the first step? Doesn't that seem to kind of clash with yeah. the gospel? That... Oh, these are great questions. Thanks, Sylvia. That's, That's awesome. why you're here, Richard. <laughs> I think James has got a really good theology of God's grace and the initiative of God. Uh, so chapter 1, verse uh, 18 is good. Um, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Yeah, so that's very clear that he chose. There's... He chose and it's the born again idea. Yeah. So it's quite passive. We have been initiated into... Uh, God's kingdom through his initiation uh, in 1 verse 21 as well just the second half of that uh, he we're called on to humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you so God is planting the word in there so, okay so it's obviously that God's grace is preeminent that it yeah. starts yeah it's the initiator so what is what do you reckon for well I think this is part of that this intense section with it begins kind of for verse one, what causes fights and quarrels, or verse four, you adulterous people. So he's writing to these people, I think, who have made a start in the Christian life okay. by grace, but they are conforming to the world in their speech, in their love of wealth, in their business uh, enthusiasm, um, their, their greed. Um, it's the double-minded kind of thing. And so he's addressing those guys very firmly and saying, uh, uh, come back to God, resist the devil, come near to God. A little bit like we saw that topic, that uh, uh, verses from chapter 5, verse 19. People who have wandered from the truth, come back, bring that person back. 
So that come near to God is not an, um, an initiating your relationship with mm. God. It's a, as a Christian, draw near. It's kind of like that Hebrews idea, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Hebrews. In fact, all the Old Testament prophets are mm. doing that as well. Um, God has chosen you. God has blessed you. Come back to God. Come, um, yeah. come. And um, yeah, part of the judgment of God, I guess, looking and thinking of the Old Testament is a, is a, um, a distance, mm. which is expressed in different ways. But yeah, so... Um, yeah, great, great question. God is the initiator. Uh, he has drawn us near. But um, yeah, for James's readers and perhaps for ourselves at times, uh, we need to come back to God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've got time for one more question okay. uh, because there have been loads of questions. I wish we could uh, keep looking at more of them. Um, let's come to chapter 4, verse 13. Sam Talbot's put in a question. Mm-hmm. Um, 4 verse 13 17 seems particularly insightful in the context of COVID. Uh, Could you unpack this section for us a little bit more? Oh, well, yeah, I'd I'd love to hear Sam's further thoughts on this. Um, So 4 verse 13, 13. I'll read it a little bit. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, now, Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city, this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So there, Richard, he kind of you've got this... Yeah, explain. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Go. So there we are. We've seen he's writing to these these um, uh, Jewish Christians who are spread out. He's concerned about their uh, loyalty to God, that they're more um, have a greater friendship than the world with the world than God. And so one of the things they're doing, this is some of the wealthy, uh, are making ambitious business plans there, um, involving travel um, and uh, making money. And he. So just on. So you've just picked up something that I hadn't thought of before. So that whole thing we we're talking about before about. The, them becoming like the world, mm. you're saying that that's, what, that's what's in the background here. Well, here, here's an example. Yeah, friendship of the world. They're expressing that friendship with the world yeah. by embarking on cool. the same merchant activity that everyone else. Not to say that um, business and that is wrong, but in this case, it's, it's he puts... Oh, the it, attitude behind it. Yeah, it's a heart issue with verse 16. You mm. boast in your arrogant schemes. And so he's saying, this is a problem. And the points are quite logical. It sounds a lot like, um, in fact, sounds like a lot like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? That theme of the mist. Yeah. There's another one of our word pictures scattered yeah. through the mist. Um, he's making the same point that Ecclesiastes does, that you will vanish. Uh, instead, uh, and also, again, thinking about Jesus, probably Jesus teaching in the background here. Remember the man who built the barns and then God said, today your life is required of you. Yeah. So that's, um, the Jesus teaching is behind this. But, uh, of course, they've got the wrong attitude. What they should do, verse 15, is say, if the Lord's will, we'll live and do this, all that. He wants people to live uh, in obedience to the Lord's will. Um, It's just a general kind of humility um, about how they go about life. Yeah. um, Apply to us. Applying to COVID-19, of course. Well, yes, so many people... Um, are going through that of plans. Mm. Um, I'm sure both of us could list out plans. Sam could. I know there's people in our congregation who've had to cancel um, travel, um, business things, employment. Um, now that's. Uh, I'm, I don't think 
we're all doing that with arrogant schemes and boasting. No, but, but there's that truth of who knows the future. Yeah, is so that, true. That when plans have changed, it and how that affects you might uh, help you assess what your heart was actually doing, how close your heart was like the rest of the world. Um, yeah. Just, it does, this section, section does seem to finish abruptly then, doesn't it? Can you explain how verse 17 flows on to the end of that? Oh, uh, oh that so verse, ends verse with, 17. Yeah, so that whole thing, all this yeah. boasting or arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then does, uh, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Yeah, that's a tricky one. It sounds a bit like chapter two, doesn't it, of the, the profession of faith, but not following through. Um, here's another example, knowing the good they ought to do, but not doing it. It is sin for them. Um, I think I'll have to take that one on notice, actually. I don't, what uh, a way to end the session on a cliffhanger. Oh, you could put it that way. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. That's all we've got time for. Um, Richard, thank you very much. This has been, I've really enjoyed, I've generally just enjoyed sitting down and having a chat with yeah, you. Yeah, likewise, Dave. It's, it's been great. This has been good. I want to say um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's, it's been really good. We've got uh, Easter Church on Friday at 10 a.m. and our Easter services at 10 a.m. and 4.30 and 7 p.m on this Easter Sunday. Exciting one is that uh, Easter Sunday Uni Church. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be good. Looking forward to that. Um, we, we should pray yeah. to close. Richard, do you want to close for us in prayer? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll pray some of the things out of James. Let's pray. Thanks. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the word of your word here in James. And uh, we thank you that uh, we ha you have chosen to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all you created. And thank you that uh, for Jesus, um, our glorious Lord. And uh, yeah, we, we ask that we would continue to live as servants, as his servants. Um, help us to repent of worldliness and uh, longing to be a friend of the world um, at the expense of our loyalty to you. Um, Father, we repent of that, especially as that is expressed through uh, a love of wealth or ungodly speech. Um, or, uh, or a lack of obedience. Um, so, yeah, we repent of that and pray that you would grant us wisdom, give us the wisdom that is from above, uh, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Uh, we ask that we might be peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Thank you that you have promised to look after us and that Jesus is coming back soon and that no matter what happens in the midst of the COVID uncertainty uh, that, uh, yeah, we, you've promised us an inheritance in your kingdom. Uh, so help us to endure patiently. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Richard, thank you very much. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Uh, look forward to seeing you at church on Sunday. Thank you. Well done. Thanks, Dave. I really enjoyed doing that. <laughs>